Texans fans, you are the best fans in the National Football League. And our home field advantage, we need you all game long, and it starts now. I'm unstoppable, forget your defense, nothing but an obstacle, run it back, switch it up, call it audible, serving up them Hail Marys till the game over with the show, stop a soul, hot you gotta blow on it, I said, hey everybody, I'll welcome to the Texas Bay Battle Podcast, I'm, right I'm Matthew right Briggs, uh, my co-host Crusoe will be here shortly, but today we got a special guest, former t- Houston Texan defensive tackle. You can find him on 610 in the morning with Sean Pendergast. I got Mr. Seth Payne. What's up, man? Thanks for having me on again. Oh, man, thank you for coming on. Uh, you know, it's just a pleasure. I, I see you, uh, you're you bobbing to the music. You, you like that? Yeah, that was a good intro. I got yeah. it. That was, that was unexpected. That's better production quality than I get on like a that's lot of a, even, uh, radio shows. That's actually my brother-in-law. He, oh, yeah? he made the song for my po- for, for this podcast. So, oh, cool. You know, shout out to him. Um, but before we jump into some big news, uh, let's jump into what was your most exciting game besides the Texans this week? Oh gosh. I don't know. I don't know if exciting is the right word. I think the Colts all of a sudden looking like they're, they might be rounding into form on offense kind of like pissed me off. I almost said scared uh, me, but it, it pissed me off that Carson Wentz looked really good and, uh, and, and Jonathan Taylor looked really good. Their offensive line looked more like they were supposed to. So that with the combination of Lamar Jackson kind of rounding into form, that was, that was probably the most intriguing for, uh, game for me. Now, and Lamar Jackson's been rounding into form for the last few weeks, but um, that's, that's, the, that's the one that had a relevant team in the AFC plus a team in the AFC South that's at least relevant to the Texans. I, I felt like, you know, the Texans said, oh, look us blow this lead. And then the Colts say, "Here, hold my beer." You know, yeah. just, you know, do their best impression. I have a friend who's a big, uh, big Colts fan, and big UT Longhorns fan. And man, he was, he was heartbroken with both of them giving up. Yeah, leads, you know. So that's a. Uh, I, I guess if you're looking for hope uh, for the Texans to upset the Colts, you look at the Colts secondary. Um, and the one, oh, that one corner that got victimized, I can't think of his name in the second half. Like there, there are opportunities there. Like, obviously the, the Texans are going to be up against it every week, but they, they showed some of the flaws in the second half that they didn't show in the first half. Oh, most definitely. Uh, so on the opposite of that, um, what's your most disappointing game? Oh, most Be- disappointing game. <laughs> um, let's see. God, that's a really good one. I guess, the. Uh, I kind of, I've been pulling for Cincinnati. I'm almost like, I've been thinking about making Cincinnati my, my alternate AFC team this year. Cause I like Joe Burrow a lot. Mm-hmm. So I guess, to, I, I mean, that was almost a, that was a matter of, okay, who's going to, who's going to stop shooting themselves in the foot first type of game. And, and it's a shame that when the opposing kicker misses 18 field goals or so in a game, you can't well, capitalize both, on both that. Both of them miss five, five. Yeah. Right? Something like crazy like that? Is- yeah, it was, it was absolute. Well, and that was kind of the theme around the league. I mean, look at the Texans. Uh, they're missed extra points. Extra points. Patriots, yeah. I mean, everybody was missing them. Yeah, yeah. And penalties. Extra points and penalties. That was the theme. But you know what? I saw a stat today. I think it might have been Field Yates that, that, that put it out there. That There have been more touchdown, game-winning touchdowns scored in the final minute of games this year 
this far into the season than ever before. Like it's been, it's been a really good really? year for exciting NFL games. Yeah. I, I, I can't lie like this. I mean, uh, at the beginning, I was saying that cause I miss football so much. I was like, Oh man, this is probably the best year of football I've seen in a while. Yeah. But the more every week I was like, no, it really, it's really it's good a- year of football. Like, I mean, <laughs> You, you got your teams that's going to suck, but so, I mean, like the Bengals and Jaguars was actually a, a real good game, you know? Yeah. And it's, I, I think part of it too was, however, they got all these stats that show that the quality of play wasn't affected last year and all of that. And I just, I just don't know if I buy it. Cause if you look at the yeah. Texans, look at the rookies on the Texans um, that are playing so much better this year, Blacklock, uh, Grenard, and, and all these guys that just, didn't have a full off season and a full full training camp as rookies because of COVID. This year they're blossoming, and I think maybe with a lot of the quarterbacks it was that way too. It's just it seems like sharper football, except for the missed field goals. Right, right. Well, um, Chris, all thanks for coming. Uh, um, we're Sorry, we're talking talking about most exciting games, so I'll throw it to you right off the bat. What was your most exciting game of this week? Got to go with the Monday night game, uh, Ravens and the Colts. Um, yeah, Seth, Seth said the same thing. He, he, yeah, man, that was it was a great game. Um, Lamar, you know, um, threw for the most passing yards ever as a Raven. A lot of people said he couldn't pass, but he did pretty good. Brought him back. I'm glad he beat the Colts because that's what we play Sunday. So anytime the Colts lose, that's a victory for us. But that was a great, <laughs> great, great game. I mean, I was like, I was really, really tuned in. So I got to go with that game right there. That was, you know, what that game was like. It was almost like a. It was one of those primetime games, like Tom Brady, when Tom Brady's down by three touchdowns and you can't go to sleep because you know something's about to happen. I was, yeah. I was just about to pass out, and then all of a sudden the the Colts turned the ball, or the, there was a huge turnover that made it what twenty two to six, um, yeah. and or when it was twenty two to six, and then then I was up for the night and sleep deprived for the rest of the week. It also yeah. reminded me of the, it also reminded me of that Colts and um New England game back in the day in Indy uh, when the Colts made that big comeback. Uh, yeah, they tried to go for it on fourth down and they stopped them and they won with the Super Bowl. So it reminded me of that game as well. Yeah. So uh, obviously that what's your most disappointing game? Uh, most disappointing game. I gotta go with the Raiders, man. Got to go with the Raiders. I, I thought it was going to come in and beat the Bears, but it's like they're coming back down to earth. Um, the last two years, they fell off six and three and couldn't make the playoffs. It seemed like this year is going to be the same deal. Of course, you got the coach with his scandals going on. I'm saying perfect about, segue. Perfect yeah, segue. yeah. I think the team was about to fall apart. Um, I feel like they're about to clean house. I can see Derek Carter cutting him um, next offseason. Uh, that might be a guy – Texans might could look into, you know, got Houston ties and everything, but um, I got to go with that game right there. Yeah, uh, like I said, perfect segue. So breaking news: um, John Gruden um, released. Well, it wasn't he didn't release a whole bunch of emails. A lot of emails were found uh, against him, racial, homophobic slurs. Um, I mean, you name it, he probably said it, probably did it. Um, topless cheerleader photos like it i mean it it seems like it's a uh oh soap opera story to tell you it's it's crazy um the buccaneers released a statement i believe yesterday saying that they were going to remove him from buccaneer history uh the ring of honor you know this asterisk 
Uh, Seth, since you're in that, you know, type of uh, industry, how um, how big is this? Like, how, um, how does it Look, I mean, obviously, there's there's huge ramifications. I think I think you probably I think you see a lot of people right now. I told my co-host on the radio this morning, Sean Pendergast, it, it this is obviously a much more serious situation because it, it involves racial dynamics, it involves women's rights and uh, LGBTQ rights and all that. But the in terms of kind of a whole bunch of people around the league maybe wondering what their emails were like 10 years ago it, it reminds me of the um do you remember when ashley madison the client list was leaked and it was like because mm-hmm. ashley madison was this website of all the for, for married couples to cheat and the the name list was released and you just could envision all these people that must have been sweating bullets trying to figure <laughs> out if their name was on that list or not um look there's there i don't think it's i don't think it would be a huge surprise to people that certain people talk that way or email that way. I think it's when it's somebody in such a position of power um, in a, especially in a sport where look, John Gruden's been, John Gruden's been working with black athletes for 30 years at least. And with black coaches, black management, um, D Smith, the, the, the coordinator, or the uh, the NFLPA president, it's uh, I, I think that's the part that Brandon Staley put it really well today when he talked about how the real threat and the danger and the harm that's done there is that it makes everybody wonder. Like anybody that was affected that by that by that email, any marginalized group or any any you know whether it's black, gay, um, women in business or what have you. It, it it violates the trust that they would have for for any 48 year old white guy um and it's understandable and and i guess it's like for me i think it's important to just try to counteract that somehow some way in your own little way and and try to try to be somebody that's actually building trust and trying to build bridges instead of of being that guy um and the other thing too is it's hard to talk about this topic just because whenever you start to get into any of the other the side topics the secondary or the tertiary topics about it all of a sudden it sounds like you're defending john cruden um that's Mm -hmm. i guess that's probably the hard part because you know how it is on twitter or anywhere else these days it's it's hard to have the conversation without somebody jumping in and assuming you're saying something or, or, you know, without really fleshing it out. Right. Right. And, um, that yesterday I seen that the NFL PA also, um, they got it approved to be all the 650,000 emails released. Correct. So, I mean, yeah, that's going to be interesting to see, especially on the uh, Washington football team side. You know, I I seen that um, Adam Schefter uh, kind of in some hot water right now too. So it's just like it seems like a the snowball kind yeah. of going down the hill. You know. Yeah, and I don't know. Look, it's Schefter. As far as I understand, it's funny because usually I go to like Pro Football Talk and ESPN.com for the major news. And when I was clicking on ESPN.com, they didn't have much about Schefter about it. So I haven't. Um, but Chef now. To be clear, right, Schefter's was about him asking for Bruce Allen to fact check a story he wrote. It wasn't like there's any 
racist or sexist stuff. That no, it, said, right? it was um, it was about all the um, the allegations uh, uh, that was going on, you know, because they've been facing a lot of it. And he pretty much um, told him, you know, what do you want me to leave out? What do you want me to put? And, and I, I believe he called him Mr. Editor. So really, jeez, wow, jeez. Yeah, <laughs> I guess I don't know. Does that surprise you guys at all? I mean, I I don't. I'm not a journalist, you know. I'm a sports radio guy, but I know enough just from working with journalists that it's considered really bad form to just go ahead and give the subject of an uh, an article the entire article. You know, you might call them to check some facts and be sure that you got some things right. But that, yeah, like basically you're allowing that guy, to, you're allowing Bruce Allen to be the editor instead of the subject of the, the article. Right. I mean, you got to get your truth out there. Some, and sometimes, you know. Yeah. The truth doesn't always fit the story, you know. Uh, Chris, what, what do you think about all this? Well, it's a sensitive um, subject to me because um, I have a, a gay sister and everything. So. Uh, really hits home with me on that. Um, I think he did the right thing to resign because um, he, he's already going to lose that locker room regardless of what's going to happen. So that's how I feel about it. You know, I want to talk too much about it. I might say something I shouldn't have to say and everything. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I know, but that's a hard thing, isn't it? Like you just, I, it's good. It's, it's hard, but it's also good. I mean, it's it, honestly for the last two years i've i've been more careful about what i say and it's not out of any paranoia or anything it's that i think i've i've learned a lot about where my blind spots are and where maybe i used to think i was more enlightened than i was i've learned i had a blind spot here and a blind spot there and you start you worry that you're gonna like i genuinely worry that i'm gonna that i'm gonna say the wrong thing in a way that's hurtful or harmful to somebody mm -hmm. um and it's, but at the same time, you got to have the conversations to get to that point, you know? True. I talked to, um, I talked to a Texans player last year who, because I, I told him, this is a younger guy, um, uh, and, and I told him, you know, I'd really, it was, I was really impressed by the way guys in the league handled everything over the last year when it came to discussions about race and, um, after George George Floyd, and and I and it just seemed to me like there was more open dialogue amongst guys about really serious topics than there was when I was a player, um, yeah. and and he felt the same way. So this is a this is a white guy I was talking to, um, and and he said that you know he'd had conversations with teammates, you know that that he'd never had before in the course of you know decades playing football. And see, I'm calling a, I'm calling a young guy. He's actually an older guy in the league, but he's young to me. Um, and I think that like that part's good. But you know, those conversations mostly are still done in private. And then somebody tweets something, and then it gets dissected four hundred thousand mm -hmm. different ways. But there's, I, I think, I think they did make a lot of progress in some respects, or at least from from guys I've talked to, a lot of conversations have been had that that weren't being had before. Yeah. Like you said earlier, it's just, man, it's a touchy subject because um, you, you don't want to say the wrong thing to affect one person. You don't want to say the wrong thing to make another mad. It's just um, the, the the era we live in now is just, it's hard. It's hard. And in this type of industry, it's hard to say what you want, you know. And like I said, I'm, I'm not trying to um, defend John Groom because I think it's disgusting of everything that's came to light. So 
touchy subject very very touchy well it's a it's it's tough um because you do i think everybody there is a natural tendency and you think about when it when it comes to homophobia um the way the way that we talked when we were teenagers um or uh, sorry i'm saying we like you guys (laughs) you know like myself i'll say myself the way i talked as a teenager um i would be poor i would be just uh i would be furious if i heard my teenager talking that way um because we've learned a lot uh, over the years i think and i think i guess the difference with gruden if you get past the whole topic of you know the the emails being disclosed and everything was that he was a 48 year old guy you know and he and he'd been working in a in a high profile position for a long time like youthful yeah. ignorance isn't really an excuse and that's the I, I guess that's the difference perhaps between you know somebody that talked a certain way in the 70s or talked a certain way in the 90s and a guy that was 48 years old and it was 2011 2012 right right i mean like um i'm not condoning what he said or anything like that but like bob mcnair said years ago you know about the whole pre- uh, inmates running the prison some some things you just can't say no more mm-hmm. yeah you just, especially on the public platform you know is not very good um so moving on to uh kind of texan news um lonnie dawson made a tweet out uh earlier this week um saying pretty much saying you're about to see some fireworks uh seth what what can you think of these fireworks what i i think he was talking about the gruden stuff Unless I missed one, because uh, I, I think the last cryptic one that he had was about was before Gruden was fired. But I might not be if. But let's say it wasn't that. The biggest thing that I wondered about or assumed that it would be about was either um, it was either going to be Zach Cunningham or Charles Amenehu. I just figured those are the two guys that have been at odds with the coaching staff for whatever reason. You know, Zach Cunningham was was benched for a quarter in the Cleveland game for disciplinary reasons. He, he was missing during camp earlier in the year and then Cunningham just being inactive last week, despite being one of the, one of the more active, you know, uh, more productive defensive linemen. Um, There's, uh, those are the two guys that I would guess would either have reason to be disgruntled. You know, many of had some cryptic tweets himself. So that's what mm-hmm. I assumed it was about if it wasn't about, or that's what I guessed it was about if it wasn't about um, John Gruden. Uh, Chris, what do you, you think? You think it's going to be a trade? Uh, I mean, I think it's a trade, um, but Lonnie, you know, he talks a lot on Twitter, so yeah. who knows with him. But I, I think I think it's going to be a trade. I think they're going to find a way to get him out of there. I mean, the safety position is crowded, but, I mean, the guy that can replace him is no better than him. So I would like to hold on to the guy because um, we spent the second-round pick on him, but we tried him at DB. Now we got him back at safety, and I don't, I don't think it's processing in his mind on what to do. But I mean, he hits hard, so yeah. To say that, you know, <laughs> I mean, maybe he's gonna come on slow like Kareem Jackson. I mean, back in the day, we all rolled him. He couldn't defend nobody. He couldn't turn his head around. And all of a sudden, now he's an all-pro safety. So maybe he's a late bloomer. Yeah. The the thing I wonder with Lonnie is, for one. He's still learning how to play safety, and it's a different scheme this year than it was last year, obviously. And I, when they have him playing as deep as he is, you know that's mm-hmm. that's Ed Reed territory where you've mm-hmm. got to make up, you've got to close that distance by being super smart. 
and anticipating and reading route combos and all that stuff and knowing your tendencies. And I think it's, that's going to take a little while for him to do that. And he's shown, he's shown flashes where he can do some stuff that a lot of other safeties can't do. The, the problem is some of the bad stuff just doesn't show up on the tape immediately because he's just out of position, you know, or he, like, yeah. it looks like the linebacker's screwing up, but it's actually because he's supposed to be there. Those are the things that I, I, I think they're going to give him the entire year to figure it out. But I, I think if somebody came along, I, I think he's definitely, I, I would guess there's everybody except for like three or four guys on the team right now would be traded for the right price. Okay. Well, uh, so going from news, let's go to the game. Um, but the Patriots, uh, uh, NRG, um, had a, a very good lead. And, uh, I was talking to my buddy during the game. And when we did that, that God awful fourth down fake punt, you want to call it, uh, he texted me, he said, man, this, this has a Kansas city vibe all over again. I said, oh man, get out of here. No way. Sure enough. Ended up blowing the lead. Uh, Chris, tell me what, what was your text of the game? High lows. We thought about it. well. We started off. We started off good. I mean, had the longest drive I think since um, 2011. I mean, Mills. I mean, he was looking great. It just. It's almost like they wanted to lose the game later on because the coach didn't make any adjustments after halftime. Special teams played a huge part, but I feel like coach. It just. This is the fifth week in a row he has apologized for something that he's done. So that's the part of about coach that I'm not liking so far. Like he got to apologize week after week. I understand he's learning on the job, but he got to do better. Um, like the kicker, if he was still injured, they should have kept him out because he definitely didn't look good. I mean, he's never missed that many kicks before. And then the 56 yard field goal, why he must put him out there if he knew the guy couldn't make the other one. So that's another questionable call. But I like what Mills did. I hope he could continue um, this Sunday. Uh, he's finally turning his head, stop staring down one player. I mean, it's more than Brandon Cooks on the field. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> more, I mean, I didn't know Chris Conley still was on the team when he caught the touchdown. I'm like, oh, okay, he's finally catching the ball now. But um, it just – I just wish they would have closed it. But, you know, I feel like, like I say, coaches gave the game away. Um, he needed to do better. But, hey, we show promise. Hopefully we could get a dub this Sunday. So, do you set that well, – what was your take on the game? I mean – uh, I think the the biggest, I think the biggest and most important takeaway was, like Chris said, that um, that Davis Mills showed a level that he hadn't shown before, and especially to to Conley and to uh, Chris Moore. I think finding those guys after they'd been MIA, well, one was down on the practice squad forever. Um, being able to make those reads and find those guys on the run after he'd been flushed out um, and, and really do it with some arm talent that I don't think he'd shown even really in practice when I was there during training camp, you know, it, during training camp in practice. And then in the preseason, he looked very mechanical. It looked like he was like a paint by numbers type of guy that just wasn't going to feel the game and wasn't going to let the game come to him. So I think more than anything, like above and beyond any statistics or any one specific play in that game, he looked more like he was feeling the game. And, and then he showed that touch on the sideline, you know, that, that pass to Chris Moore, the first couple times I watched it, I thought it was a little bit of a prayer. 
And then you realize now he was, he was taking a calculated shot where it was either going to be Chris Moore was going to catch it or it was going to go out of bounds, <clears throat> you know, and it, it took a little bit of luck for McCordy to overrun more for it to become a touchdown, but it was just a hell of a throw. If he'd been tackled right there, that was just still a hell of a play. So I was excited about that. Um, the part I was disappointed in was that the Texans pass rush didn't get home more often versus four backup offensive linemen. Mm -hmm. I really, I thought now in Blacklock being in there might've made a difference. So hopefully they'll get him back. Um, but that's, I've been encouraged that a lot of the young guys like Grenard and Blacklock are showing up in Lopez. Lopez is showing way more pass rush ability than I thought he had. I thought he was going to be more of like a pure run stuffer. Um, I'd like to, to me, see that. He, to me, he's the probably the bright spot of the draft so far. Like he, he's a very underrated guy that has went under the radar. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, Nico Collins will be the. Hopefully, he's the. Hopefully, he's the other guy that doesn't fly under the radar. But when he comes back this week, he if he can get a bunch more targets um, and be a find, and, and and if Davis Mills looks like, I'll be happy with Davis Mills if he's a guy that you keep wanting to see more of week after week. You know, I don't I don't know what his ceiling is right now, but at least he looks like he's developing. He looks like might like he might be this guy that, oh, if he had stayed in college another year, he would have gone higher in the draft. Um uh, so that that part was a positive for last week. Well I got a question for I got a question for you, said so if Davis shows promise this year, do you ride with him next year or you still draft a quarterback? That's that's the million dollar question, man. I think they it's going to, it's going to depend on how, just how good he is. And then what these guys think about either Matt Corral or Malik Willis. I mean, it's, it's hard for me right now to watch Malik Willis and not, and not want Malik Willis on the team. And I don't even know. I mean, like, obviously, obviously this is a guy that couldn't crack the second string at Auburn, but sometimes that happens, you know, Joe Burrow couldn't get, couldn't be a starter. And then he found the right spot and it clicked for him. Um, but you can't teach some of the things that that kid does athletically and with his arm. Mm -hmm. So Davis Mills would have to, Davis Mills would have to look real impressive for me not to potentially get excited about one of these guys. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not all that hot on any of the other prospects. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I like Matt Carell as a kid, but Malik Willis is the one that really tweaks the imagination. Yeah. See, I, I agree with you. I think Malik Willis is probably the only one is like must have. The other guys are just like, eh. so, I mean, I, I kind of agree with you. Like maybe you, you take a chance on Davis Mills next year and, you know, build up draft picks. And then that whole year, if he tanks, go after, you know, go after this another is, quarterback. This is the hard thing too. And this is where it doesn't make any rational sense. This is all emotion and, and maybe like a little bit of just remembering my own playing career. I, I also want Tyrod Taylor to get a shot. He was playing so well. But the problem is that he could probably help the Texans win a few more games. And I, I don't know if I'm – I'm torn, man. I'm in that spot right now where I know what's best for them long-term, and I want them to compete. Um, but I also don't want them all of a sudden be, you know, 14th or 15th in the draft. I don't want them to tank. I just don't want – I don't want Tyrod to come back in and play so well <laughs> that they that they win six or seven games. Right. Um yeah, my take, uh, the coaching mistakes was very – cost us a lot in that game. But to me, it was like the whole year I've been playing uh, – the second half on defense, I've been blaming – except for, of course, the Jags. I've been playing blaming 
the offense. The offense was poor, couldn't stay on the field, so it tired the defense. Well, this week was complete opposite, and the defense is, to me, it, they disappeared in the second half. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were gassing them on the, on the running. Um, Mac Jones was doing Mac Jones, and I mean, he looked a lot better in the second half. Um, so coming, you know, coming from a new you you done it when you went from the Jaguars to the Texans coming into a new scheme. I, is it hard for these guys to to adjust and yeah, stay on I the think field during the whole game? It's it's hard, but then it's also you know they're they're playing a ton of cover too, which has a whole bunch of holes in the middle. Unless you got some real genuine stud linebackers and stud safeties and a stud pass rusher, like it's a it's a scheme that to play well. You need really good talent out there. You need some Brian Urlachers. You need some Peanut Tillmans. You know, you need guys like that. And I think so far for me, I said at the beginning of the year, I'd be happy if these guys ended up being a middle-of-the-road defense. That would be a, a huge step forward for me. And so far, if you look at DVOA and a lot of the other stuff, even points allowed and whatnot, they're in there, you know, between 15th and 20th or so defensively. I think that that's probably going to be their ceiling this year just because they don't have that much talent. The question will be if they can get a stud pass rusher in there next year, if they can get a linebacker that's a true three-down linebacker somewhere along the way in a, in a stud safety or something, that's going to be the tough. I mean, that'll be the tough decision is, okay, are we going to stick with Lovey Smith two, three years from now? So far this year, I'm I'm cutting him a lot of slack because he doesn't have much to work with. Like, blitz, blitzing I'm would be really tough with the corners, yeah. I'm I'm impressed by it. I I've been like I've been telling Chris all this whole this whole season like I'm I'm hyped about this defense. Uh, mm-hmm. uh yeah, you're right. They do, do give big holes, but I mean it's a lot better than seeing them give the uh the receivers 20 yard uh you know, oh let's sit back here 20 yards off and let the receiver have their way with us. So it's good. And you also mentioned Peanut Tillman. Terrence Mitchell, man, he's been he's been doing his best impersonation of him. Uh, this all year that was a good uh, in the end zone fumble. Yeah, that was you know if I mean if that was more of a marquee game and people had cared about it and and especially if the Texans had won that'd be one of the plays of the year. I mean you yeah. make a force a fumble on the three centimeter line. I mean that was that was really good. Yeah. Be- so before we uh, you know talk to Colts and uh, in the cell um, that last play, well not last play but leading into uh the last drive for the Patriots was that passing was that roughing the passer your oh yeah it was I guess you <laughs> think so really yeah it, I mean it was the problem was it was it was helmet to helmet contact but it was so yeah. brief and it was so glancing that I think I I was surprised that they called it when Mac Mills was the quarterback that, that was getting hit I felt like if it was if it was Brady or somebody like that or a more established quarterback that they would have called it. Um, so I was kind of surprised. But the other thing, too, is that, that like that's Malik Collins' third roughing the passer. I've gotten – I don't want to cut him any breaks because the first two that he had this year were kind of were kind of blatant and, and, like, obvious. So it's – I'm not a fan of the way they're calling it, but given the letter of the law and everything and, and what the rule is, then it was it was a penalty. Yeah, I, I think too, like you say, it was Brady or Rogers. You know, they definitely caught. But I also think they called it because I mean, who who was on the other sideline? 
Yeah, it was just right. it was a, didn't matter who was in that was underneath the helmet. It was a Patriots right. helmet. Right. Yeah. right. Uh, so moving on, uh, going to Indianapolis, uh, we're playing the other wonderful choke artist teams in the AFC South. We're playing the uh, <laughs> Indianapolis Colts. Uh, Chris, again, I'll start with you. Uh, what do you expect? What's your predictions? Um, well, you know, our record in Indy is not good over the years, but I, I'm, I'm going to go in right now and say we're going to win that game. I feel like, yeah, yeah, man. I feel like Indy, they're done already. They're done already. Um, The Carson Wentz thing hasn't been a good look. Um, I think this might be Frank's last year as well. I could see the D.C. maybe take over as head coach, or he could be out of there as well. I I don't know. But um, I got us winning that game. I want to go 24-17. Okay. That's how I I appreciate that, Chris. That's bold. That's bold. Um... (laughs) I'll I'll flip those scores and say the Colts will win 24-17. I cannot get out of my brain the times, two different things that the Colts were able to do to a young Deshaun Watson before he figured it out. One was the DB blitzes off the edge. And two is um, linebackers popping up into zones or lurking and, you know, make – making the quarterback think that it's man when it's zone and vice versa. Uh, and and I see Eberflee scheming that up versus a young Davis Mills. So those are the two things that make me nervous from, from Davis Mills' perspective is this might be the week where, okay, they, they saw Davis do some good things last week. They might be a little bit more aggressive and sending some blitz than they might otherwise be. And uh, those, those DBs, those safeties and corners creening off the edge is what makes me nervous. Hmm. So they're gonna do what, what they're gonna do what Carolina did on Thursday night and start blitzing them, right? Yeah, yeah, and just okay. uh, just confusing. Well, especially too now, you're gonna have Charlie Heck at right tackle. You're gonna have Jerron Christian at left tackle. So that's um, man, yeah. I hadn't even been thinking about that yet. I'm still processing. <laughs> Damn it! All right, I might have to say twenty-seven, seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, you're right. They are gonna start blitzing, but the good thing is. There's not a short short turnaround for Mills. He has a whole week, and he's seen more gameplay. So hopefully, Pep. I mean, Pep Hamilton is he's a good quarterback coach. So hopefully, you know, he's in the ear. Um, is Tyrod is he suiting up Sunday or? I don't think he's going to. And it was it was interesting today. We spoke to Nick Casario this morning, and we asked him about when Tyrod comes back, how are they going to handle it. And Casario gave kind of a diplomatic answer and said, hey, they evaluate everybody all the time. And he didn't guarantee that Tyrod would be starting when he came back. Then two hours later, Cully in his press conference said he's old school. He believes in veterans not losing their job because of injuries. So it's his job when Tyrod comes back. And I don't like I'm not going to try to create drama out of it. They'll figure it out. But I mean, it. He, he does work for a, a team that's run by people from the Patriots, you know, where Tom Brady got his job due to injury. <laughs> right. So I don't right. think if, I think that I, I think Cully, if he wants to, would win that battle. Um, but he's, I, I, it seems like Cully's trying to let, or excuse me, Casario would win that battle, I think. But Casario, I think more so than people think, I think he is trying to let Cully make a lot more decisions than people realize. Um, it's just a matter of it just when it, when push comes to shove with this bigger stuff, Casario's got the power. Right. Um, well, I, I was wondering because, I mean, maybe 
in the second half, our first half, Mills is struggling. Uh, they're down. Maybe they put Tyrod and Tyrod does Tyrod and make a comeback. You never know. Yeah. But a hamstring injury is nothing to play with. It so, might, it, it, you know, it might end up being kind of like it was with Tua and Fitzpatrick, where they just kind of they don't they don't have to play by the standard rules and they just bring give give Mills a spell if he needs it because things get overwhelming. Well, they, I mean, Cody was there when the Ravens ran uh, Jackson and RG three. Who knows? You know. Yeah. You, yeah. You might you know put both of them in there. I mean, I, I don't see it doing anything like it did for them, but you know, <laughs> I, no. I I gotta agree with with Seth. Um, earlier this year, I, I thought because we're gonna sweep us, um, but I think we're gonna now seeing how terrible the Colts are just because of injuries and not messing well. Um, I say we split it, but I think we lose here in Indianapolis and then win at home December fifth. Uh, I, I think it's gonna be twenty four. 17 type of game too. This is really close, almost in it, but just kind of like Sunday, just couldn't pull the trigger. Yeah, I feel um I feel way more optimistic about the Texans and Davis Mills, especially at home this year. And I do think, look, they've they've been more competitive in a couple of these games than anybody thought they would be. And and I think they're a team that probably will improve a good chunk. So we'll we'll have some good entertaining games here along the way. Well, if you look at it like um Jacksonville. Detroit, New York Jets, the team that with new regimes and new coaches and all that. Um, there's only really like good two teams that kind of um, the Texans. I'm not trying to be biased, but you know the Texans are doing it right. They're getting the pieces to help these rookie guys, these young players develop. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jacksonville, I'm, they're too busy getting lap dances and finger popping <laughs> women's buttholes, you know. So. I mean, am I wrong, or is, is is that the way it seems with the Texans? I mean, they're help developing. I think that you know, I think Cully's done a good job running a tight ship for the most part. I mean, it, it is what it is in terms of the talent talent that he's working with. Um, but all through training camp, the first the first couple of weeks, especially, I was really impressed with with how smooth and efficient everything was. So, look, his game management is is garbage so far but um he's got a lot of veteran guys and the young guys seem to be learning learning how to operate like professionals and there's not a whole lot of drama outside of the whole Deshaun situation and then you know the the random guys that like to go off on Twitter every now and then it's I've, I've been impressed with that part of Cully's operation I mean yeah, I like what Nick Casario is doing I mean he's not breaking the bank Going after these, you know, these veterans, you're getting league minimums, one year prove it deal. So, to me, I, I think it's a smart move on both sides of the board. So, um, before we sign off, Chris, is there is there a a question you like to ask Seth before we let him go? Yeah. Um, when um when we got you in the draft, you Tony and Gary, did any of you guys have a conversation on um, that day? Oh, uh, let's see. Yeah, we that's a really good question. Man, I haven't thought back to that day in a long time. It was interesting because you know, we knew we knew that Baselli's shoulder was in pretty rough shape. Um and, and Tony was kinda had his own set of challenges um right then because of his shoulder. Gary and I 
Gary and I talked a lot more just because we were kind of veteran leaders on the defense and it, it probably pushed Gary and I a lot closer together than we had been when we were in Jacksonville, just because we we're in that situation. Um, so we would, you know, I like, I think I leaned on Gary sometimes for advice on just how to operate. Cause he's a couple years older than me. Um, and, and, you know, we were able to, you know, we had conversations with Dom about how to handle younger guys. So Gary, Gary and I talked a lot about the actual team and leadership and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, we never like huddled together in a group of three. We kind of all just, we kind of knew the deal that, that whole year in Jacksonville, we were in, so we knew we were going to have cap trouble the next year. So everybody knew that a, a few of us might end up in Houston and it was, so it was almost like a lot of the conversations had already been had before the expansion draft. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, I, I didn't think about that too, but that's a pretty good question. Um, yeah, no, and I'll, you know what? I'll have to think about it. I might have to call up Tony or Gary and figure it out too and relive the, <laughs> relive the, actual, <laughs> the actual, you know, the, one of the weirdest things that I remember from that expansion draft day was that that was the first time in my life I'd ever, I'd ever seen, heard of, or eaten a kolache. And uh, <laughs> I had no, I, I had no idea it was going to be a love affair that lasted 20 years. Well, I hope yeah. you got the kolache from Shipley's. It was, uh, uh, what was it? No, I think it was Kalachi Factory back then. Oh, yeah, Kalachi Factory. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they're anymore. They're they're gone right now. And it's just Sipley's or Kalachi Factory still no, alive? The, uh, factory's still here. Is it? Yeah. I'm, I moved up here in Kansas City and they, I say, you have a Kalachi? They're like, <laughs> what's that? And like, I, yeah, I was creating. When I told the guys in Houston, the uh we were like in a little waiting area and one of the texans employees was like a houston native and i told him i'd never heard of a kolache he thought i was crazy but it's not <laughs> yeah it's really it's just this region it's like the the Czechos, the Czechs brought it over and it didn't go anywhere it. else it just stayed right here uh and, and thanks to patrick mahomes I, I finally get a uh a water burger up here yeah, like, that's right. You. That's right. Yeah. Thank you, Pat. You know, I, mean, I can't stand you for being the Texans, but you know, thank you for Waterburger. That's uh, funny. So, Seth, uh, before we leave, where where can find us? Uh, tell tell us where you know check you out in the mornings and oh yeah, you know, uh, Sports Radio six ten a.m. from six a.m. to ten a.m. weekdays, and then any of my social media is all uh, at Seth C Payne. So Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. Yeah, we we love having Seth. Uh, um, well, of course you, Seth, but your uh, your partner, Sean. He's he's always a hoot, especially his uh, story about um, Kevin Costner pinching his nipple. Is a, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's a great one. Uh, Crenshaw, where can we find you at? You can find me at um at Fifth Ward Crenshaw on Twitter. All right, and once again, I can't change my name. You can find me at Sadden Texans fan. Um, <laughs> You can find the podcast at Texan Fan Battle everywhere. Um, you can also find our sister podcast, the AFC South Fan Battle Podcast. Um, and you can find all of our episodes on every major platform and also on the Pickskin uh, Podcast Network, which is dra- uh, sponsored by DraftKings. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. All you got to do is download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code TPPN. 
throw down one dollar on any NFL game or fantasy um, app, and you can win a hundred million, a hundred dollars free in bets. So if you want free, free money, all you gotta do is add. I, I say free, but you gotta add a dollar. Okay, so don't don't try to put it in there and get it free and get mad at me when you don't get free money. So uh till then, Seth, again, thank you for coming on. Um hopefully hopefully uh we'll do this again. Uh it's it's been fun. Hey yeah, Appreciate my pleasure, guys. Yeah, and, uh, hopefully next week we talk about when. Until then, have a good week. Thanks, guys. I said I'll huff and I'll puff, then I'll pass to my left.